welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name's Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Are you ready for God's Word? I've asked you that, haven't I? Let's go. Well, I want to, uh, we're starting a series today. It's not going to be a very long series because there's a whole lot of things that I feel like the Lord is putting in my heart to really bring us into. Um, some of those things that I'm excited about preaching about over the next coming weeks and months are around um, what I believe God is wanting to equip us with to be kingdom people in the world. I'm really excited and I'm doing some study at the moment around spiritual warfare and, um, you know, one of the things that God was speaking to me about this week is I was asking, Lord, why don't we see that many demons manifest in our Western context? And one of the things I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit in my heart is that I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't demonic influence happening in the church in the West. Of course, there absolutely is, or in people, I should say. Um, but I felt the Lord say that... Um, show me that uh, what we actually need to be going after is strongholds in the mind. What needs pulling down is the wet in the West. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 says our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And strongholds exist in the space. The first space of spiritual warfare, the first place is, is your thinking. And so we're going to um, dive into that. So I'm really excited about, um, about this year and what God's doing. And I want you to um, just be prayerful about those things. But today we start a series that we're, we've called Ecclesia. It's really around the church's identity. It's around who you are and who I am. But in order for us to really get to some truths today, we need to expose some lies too. We need to have a conversation about some things that we've just believed because over the years we've been indoctrinated and we've just, we've, uh, we've believed just via uh, osmosis of the culture rather than revelation from God's word. And so I want to start with a few questions today and follow it up with some statements. But number one, you might want to write these down. What is the church? What is the church? How do, how, do we, how do you define what church is? What is its identity? What is the identity of the church? Who is the church meant to be? In our, in our Australian context, specifically here in Victoria, we are absolutely in a post-Christian environment. Not just are we post-Christian, we're actually in an environment which is quite, quite anti-Christian. We live in a world, like it's all good for us, isn't it, to rah, rah, rah the church when we're in here. 
But I want to, can I, we're going to put out some big provocative thinking things for you today because I want you to think about why you are here. Because the goal is not to get more people here. The goal is not to fill this and then do more services and more services and more services. God willing, that takes place. But that is not our assignment. And so what is our assignment? It must be found in what Jesus first said about who the church is. And I think if we're honest about how we refer, uh, I think if we're honest, we can look at some of the language cues that we have to help us um, to help us excavate the truth of what we believe the church is. So for example, and I know I'm being semantic about words here, but I want you to just lean in with me for a moment. We say things like, where do you want to go to church? We ask questions like, do you want to come to my church? What church do you belong to? Are you going to church today? Are you having dinner with someone on a Friday night? Well, I see you at church on Sunday. Are you with me? I left my last church because the pastor was a moron. That's not prophetic for anyone. Just, I'm just speaking out. All right, just go with me. All right, I'm trying to make sure you're listening, okay? I gave to the building or the vision offering to build our church. Good, you can help me. This is great. And all of our language points to the fact that we believe the church is a place. We believe that the church is ultimately a building. We believe that the church is a thing that we come to. And so the question that I want to wrestle with today, is the church the people or is the church the steeple? Is the church the building or is the church the gathering of the saints? Is the church, like we had, we had to pivot last week. We thank you for your flexibility in, in that or, or, and, and the rest of it. But we had church in the park. And it was beautiful and powerful and incredible. And we connected in a way that we would never connect in here. And it broke us out of a paradigm that, to be honest with you, if we said church was in the park, most of you wouldn't come. <laughs> it's the truth in love. Because you love convenience and you love order and there's nothing wrong, wrong with those things on their own until they start bumping up and becoming Lord rather than Jesus. So the question is, is are we co-laboring with Jesus to build what he said he would build? Is our message the same as his? Let's go to the scriptures today. It's gonna be up there on your screens and we're gonna read it out loud together. Is that all right? I'm feeling like in, I'm in an African-American church this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Don't get carried away, guys. <laughs> Verse number 13, we're going to read in just a moment. If you don't know, there's been this really amazing dialogue that Jesus is having one-on-one -on -one with his disciples. And he's saying, who do you say that I am? And they're saying, well, some are saying you're Elijah. 
Some are saying you're John the Baptist. Some of you are saying this, some of you are saying that. And then this is what it reads in verse 13. Um, yeah, we'll, re- we'll read from verse 13. You ready to read with me? Let's read together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Just making sure, yeah, keys of, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Just, come on, you still with me? Come on. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Upon this rock, I will build my... Let's say it one more time. Upon this rock, I will build my... You know, this word church here is actually the Greek word ekklesia. It's the Greek word ekklesia. And we're going to do a deep dive this morning into the concept of what Jesus said when he was talking about the ekklesia. Jesus specifically chose the word ekklesia to talk about who you and I would be as the saints in the world. The ecclesia. Are you ready to go to school? Yep. Let's do this. Let's put up the next slide, please, Michael. Thanks for that. I want you to see this this morning. This is really important. You might want to take a photo of it and zoom in for all of those that are vision impaired um, or save it for later. You can do so. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to see this. I'll just do this as well. <laughs> I, want, I want you to see this. The word church here, number one, I want you to take note of this. This is the first time that this word ecclesia has ever been used in the scriptures. It has not been used any other time in the history of Jewish Christian thought, certainly not in the scriptures ever before. And so Jesus radically chooses this idea of introducing who we are and what we're gonna be, and he calls it, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. I wanna say something really important today, and I want you to take note of it. It's to provoke you to think, and it's an important thought, and I believe it with all my heart. Jesus did not say, despite what your Bibles read in English, Jesus did not say, I will build my church. Jesus specifically said, I will build my ecclesia. Let's have a quick history lesson. As we can see up here today, we can see these two words, Kyriakon Doma, and then you've got the word ecclesia. 
Now, Kiriakon Doma simply means the Lord's house, the Lord's house, okay? Now, Kiriakon Doma is actually a, uh, a European German word that ends up being becoming in our English language the word church. So the way that they would say the root word of Kiriakon is Kirk. As you can see, then our English language took it on and Kirk became church. And then all of a sudden, what you have is you have Kiriakon Doma, the Lord's house. I want you to see as we go down and you look at the word time, this word Kiriakon Doma was introduced in 300 AD. Do you feel like you're in class this morning? This is good. In 300 AD, down just in this next little part of the slide, we see, so 300 AD, so what's that? That's 300 years after Jesus. This word that we now use to describe who we are and what we do was not introduced by Jesus, but rather it was introduced 300 years later. Kiriakondoma. We see that the New Testament was written somewhere, most of it was written somewhere between 60 AD and 100 AD. Quite fascinating. Then we zoom over to the word ecclesia. Now, um, I'm going to explain in detail, I'm going to go through the rest of this and then I'm going to explain in detail what and how we, what, how and what the ecclesia is and where it comes from. But the ecclesia simply means the called out ones, okay? So I know we have a saying in church when we're trying to change your mentality to a certain extent where we say, I am the church, you are the church. And in essence, that is true. Because, and it's more true than our definition of the church being aligned with Kiriakondoma. But it's not entirely true. Because it's not the called out one, it's the called out ones. Church, ecclesia, <laughs> had to rebuke myself then. Ecclesia is not possible in isolation. It is only possible in the context of others. Ecclesia. It means the called out ones. Now to go a little bit deeper Ecclesia was a word that was introduced in 580 BC, right? So before Jesus, 580 years approximately, before Jesus, the word Ecclesia historically had been used. So we see on the timeline again, we, say, we see Jesus there and we see that 300 years after him, Kiriakondoma is introduced where we get our word church. 580 years before that, we have the introduction of the word ecclesia. Are you still with me? Praise the Lord. So what is the ecclesia? Well, the ecclesia... We're just teaching today. We're going to have a party in a moment, okay? The ecclesia originated from Athens, Greece. And it is actually a political or a governmental term. I need you to understand this. It is not a religious term. It is a governmental term. That's exactly what ecclesia was. Ecclesia 
was a type of government. Greece was made up much like Australia. Any Greek people here today? Give me a wave. Well, that was awkward. Um, but Greece, Greece, Greece was made up of a whole lot of, we call them in in Jesus' name. <laughs> we need your food, it's delicious. Um, but Greece was made up of a whole bunch of city-states, right? And they were, these were called polis. So this is where we get the idea of metropolis, right? And much like our states today in Australia, they were governed so they were federally governed, if you like, or nationally governed, but they were also state governed like we have here in Australia. And these states were governed by what was called the aristo, I always pronounce this incorrectly, aristocracy, that's right. And it's where we, it comes from two words, aristos and kratos. And it simply means the rule of the best. It means the rule of the best. All right, and this, how, how did you become a part of this government? How did you become a part of this rule? Well, you had to realistically be born into the family. It was all through bloodlines. That's why there were always people, you know, you're going back to, back in the, in the old days where there always, there's always a fight for the king and for this person and because it happened through bloodlines. At times, these um, as I said, so each state would have its own aristocracy. And these leaders at times through the states would sometimes disagree. And if they disagreed and they, they would get to a stalemate, as a result of that, they would elect a leader to rule for a season to sort out a specific problem. Stay with me, I promise you we're going, going somewhere, all right? So they would elect a leader. Now this leader had the title of tyrant, everyone say tyrant. Turn to your neighbor, say you look like a tyrant. <laughs> Back in the day, <laughs> it's good, you're good, you're good, don't worry, they're complimenting you and you didn't even know it. Back in the day, a tyrant was not a bad person. A tyrant was a problem solver for the states, okay? And one of the things is one tyrant for the first time in 580 BC, he did something different. Instead of giving, this is all history, instead of giving back power to the aristocracy, he gave the power to the people. And he said, you get to decide. And this is where we get the word for the first time, democracy. Kratos, which means rule, and demos, which means the people. And so we've gone from this rule of the elite through to the rule of the people of which we as a society in Australia get to participate in that form of government. The ecclesia, it's fact, fact in, in historical fact that they would gather sometimes 40, sometimes 60 times a year in up to 6,000 people at a time. Talk about a mega church, come on somebody. They didn't just gather, they had different factions and different roles and different things, but they were still gathering in big groups. I wanna go on the record for saying there's nothing wrong with big gatherings of people. It's important for our city to have those spaces, but not just so that we can build a name to ourselves. You know, we've gotta be building and exalting the name of Jesus. You with me? 
And so they were great. And this group of governing rule became called the ecclesia. So we see that ecclesia is a group of, of people, the called out ones. And so Jesus has said that you as a believer in Jesus, forget what title is over the doorway when you walk into the building on a Sunday. It holds no ground in the spirit realm where you go on a Sunday. Jesus is not saying upon this name or upon that name. He's saying, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. He's saying he will build this government of God in the earth. Isn't this exciting? So let's now just zoom into our text this morning. As we zoom into our text this morning, we see that the scene for Matthew chapter 16, or I'm going to preach in a minute, I'm telling you, you might not be able to contain yourself, is found in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was the most northern region travelled by Jesus. It was named, obviously, by Caesar and by Philip. And if you didn't know, these were two deified gods. It was about a two-day walk and it sat at the bottom of Mount Hermon. That's a great baby name as well for Luke and Bree. Your baby's coming soon. Herman, I like it. <laughs> Steve and Amanda as well, they had their baby this week. <laughs> Eliana, her name is. And so Mike and Chelsea, if you want to take Herman as well, you can do so. <laughs> and just release that over your life. Um, it's good. We're having a growth spurt in the church at the moment. It's quite, it's revival, but through babies. <laughs> it's the easiest church growth ever. Um, and for me anyway. Um, so remember, remember you've got to remember this, all right? The disciples were young. No, no, no rabbi had students older than them. So we know for a fact that they were all under the age of 30 to 33 at this time. They're young boys. Some, some, some commentators say that some of the disciples would have been 16 or 17. We know, we know that they were young because you don't pay tax in, in, as a Jew until you're about 22 years old. So not only does Jesus go to Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, he takes a two-day journey to a place called the Gates of Hades. The Gates of Hades. And this was the most paganistic place in the entire Hellenistic world. It was the most demonic realm in Jesus' time. Pan was worshipped there. That's the name of a god. He was, and, and so might I add, 14 other specific gods are mentioned to be worshipped at this place in Caesarea Philippi. Pan was a god. He was like a lust sex god. And he was half goat, half man. And, and the gates of Hades was the gateway. It was known as the gateway to the underworld. The Jews avoided that place they avoided it, they avoided it, they avoided it. It was like no one's going there. The opposite to this place is how they thought of Jerusalem. This holy, sacred place where our forefathers met God and built a city unto God. The very opposite place that they could be is this place in Caesarea Philippi. 
It was the darkest, most demonic, oppressive, occult, unredeemable place of that time. If people were to hang around that place long enough, you would have seen child sacrifice. You would have seen perverse demonic acts. You would have seen sex acts with animals. You would have seen prostitutes you, you were in worship to, to Pan. It is believed that Baal and the demonic spirits entered through a portal through these gates, the gates of Hades. The cave itself, Google it, it's quite fascinating. I've done it. Google a picture of the gates of Hades. And the, the Jews saw that it looked like a yawning mouth was open, a place that you would enter in and out into Hades, into, the, into this demonic realm. And Hades was a God that was the God of the underworld. Are you still with me today? Hades, so he was the God of the underworld. That means he was the God, he was the ruler. His name simply means the ruler of the dead. The ruler of the dead. And here's the context that Jesus takes his disciples on this wild, wild journey. <laughs> I'm getting excited. It is in this place. It's not in the sanctuary or the temple in Jerusalem. It's not as they're walking on their way to celebrate one of the feasts. It's in the darkest place. It's the, in the most oppressive, demonic, occultic place. It's in a place that as young children, they've been taught to fear. Jesus takes them and it's in that place, in that region that God gives them two of the greatest New Testament revelations. The greatest question still to this day for man to answer is who do you personally say that Jesus is? And Jesus asks this in the darkest, the darkest now, before we move on, permission to preach for a moment? Because I sense that some people prophetically, you've been in a dark place. And you know what God does in dark places? God reveals who he is in those dark places. You know, in those really low places where you wanna quit, you wanna give up, where you feel like life has no purpose, you're just on the merry-go-round of life. It is in those places that God, if you lean into His Spirit, if you pray, if you keep a soft heart before Him, your heart is so important in this time. Please listen to me. Your heart is vital in this time. The enemy is gonna try to offend your heart, even in this church community, because if he can offend your heart, you close up your heart heart and you stop receiving from Him. And so you've got to have a soft heart. Let me tell you this just for, right up from the, from the outset. This church is not perfect. All that we can do is point you to a perfect God who is called Jesus. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because when you and I exist in community, we bring our brokenness into that community. And we coexist with other brokenness. And brokenness sometimes causes more brokenness. 
And so this is why in times of worship, this is why we have open hearts to respond to the altar calls when they're cold. This is why in the Word, we're trying to listen to what the Spirit is saying because we wanna steward our heart because we know that the heart is the gateway to our spirit. We know that the heart is the place that God wants to connect with us. And we, we, I'm, I'm wanting you to see this today because I'm sensing that there are some people that have been in tough times and the enemy's trying to bring offence in and close up your heart. But I wanna tell you today, if you would just keep close to Jesus, something's about to shift in your life. I'm prophesying over someone right now. If you would stick close to Jesus today, you can walk out of this room full of power, full of might, full of wisdom, full of revelation. Do you believe me this morning? And so if you're in a dark time, know that maybe this is a place Have you ever contemplated? Maybe this is a place that God is actually bringing you to to ultimately reveal who He is. In Acts chapter chapter 2, the church is birthed. Give me a few few more minutes. It's early, isn't it, for a Matt Garner sermon? It's very early. In Acts 2, the the church's birth, it's released and a result of it being released, cities are one, culture has changed. Did you know that if Jesus used the word church, Kyriakon Doma, Peter would have had no idea what he was talking about. It wasn't a word that existed. The church is under great persecution, right? But in, in like, so from, from Acts, and we're going to teach about this in the next few weeks. Next week's going to be a really important message for our church community on the five expressions of the New Testament church. I want you to uh, commit, if you can, to being here. There's going to be a really pivotal uh, message and time for us. And so make, it, make every effort to be here next Sunday. Um, but what's happening, one of the things I want to teach on is uh, we, we get stuck in the Western church on models. And so if we ever get hurt or offended by in an environment that is a certain model, what happens is, is we end up hating the model. And so if you've been in a mega church and you get hurt by the mega church, you then gravitate towards the house church because surely there's something wrong with the mega church. But if you get hurt in the house church, you start thinking, maybe I need to look at another alternative. And we, for whatever reason, we get enamoured with the model. But we must in this time be flexible around the model. The model's not as important as we think. In fact, the revelation that the Lord has shown me is the church is the most flexible organisation in the world. And it doesn't really matter what it looks like, whether it looks like this or whether it looks like a home or whether it looks like something else. Think about it for a moment. The fastest growing church in the world right now Hundreds of thousands of people are getting saved, right? Hundreds of thousands of people are getting saved. Just Google it, YouTube it, there's lots of stuff out there. Is the church in Iran. Now they are not gathering in house churches, they are covert, they are full ninja Christians, right? They're not really gathering in house church like the church in China did when it was experiencing and 
the fastest growth, the fastest growing church in the world, China, underground church. Now we're meeting in basements and sewers and bunkers and all sorts of things just to gather around the scriptures because Christianity was illegal. The method was different to Iran. Then we go over to Seoul, Korea. And Yongi Cho had the biggest church in the world where he had, he had a million people in his church. That was just one of the big churches in that city. It's recorded that he would have in his church every weekend 750,000 people would come to gather as the church. That's a lot of people. He would have to stand up and say, please don't come this week. Could you imagine? We're all like, come, bring your friends, bring your dogs, bring everyone you can to the church because we're desperate because our metrics of success are around how many people are in a room. Anyway, so that was a little rant. Um, but he's like, don't come. And, the, and then Acts chapter 1 to 9, we see the church. They're gathering in the temple. It's incredible. They're gathering with Acts 2. We see thousands of people gathered. Thousands of Thousands of people give their lives to Christ that day when Peter stands up and preaches in Acts 2, but then Acts chapter 9 hits. And the church doesn't change, but the method of who the church is does. You with me? And now they're hiding out in homes, and this is where we get the method of the house church. All this persecution happens, and in 325 AD, we're coming in for a landing Constantine legalizes Christianity. He makes it legal. Church historians have wrote that the day that Christianity was legalized was the day that the church began to die. Let that sink in. It's about 350 AD when we see the church, church buildings being built. It's at that time the word church takes over the word ecclesia and starts being used in that vernacular. In 1525, someone say 1525. In 1525, Tyndale translates the Bible for the first time into English. And he's going to do so for the people. He translates the word ecclesia into the scriptures as the word Christ's congregation. Okay? And in doing so, he's moving the power from this elite band of Christian power players and he's moving the power back to the people. This is exactly what the Reformation was about. They were in partnership. The Reformation was also about this idea that it's grace alone that we are saved, that you don't need to pay a priest to forgive your sins. You can go directly to Jesus himself because this is the love of our good God that we have. That you don't need to come to church to be right with God, right? And so Tyndale translates it as Christ's congregation and he is rebirthing the idea of the, of the ecclesia. In 15, so that happened in 1525, just 11 years later in 1536, they tried to have Tyndale change Matthew 16 verses 18, the word ecclesia from Christ's congregation. They have him, they try to have him change it to the word church. 
There is a battle over the word ecclesia. He refuses. I want you to hear this because I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. I've got goosebumps under my jacket right now. Maybe I'm sweating a bit too much too. But I want you to hear this right now. There is a fight in the spiritual realm over the identity of the ecclesia. There is a fight. The devil wants you to be a simple Sunday attending Christian. He wants to trap you in a model that just says, come, consume, be entertained, and then think about that next Saturday night when you want to, need to get up for church in the morning. He does not want you getting this revelation. People have died over this revelation. Blood has been shed over the revelation that you are the ecclesia. King Henry VIII rises up and he has a clash with the Roman Catholic Church because he wants to divorce his wife and he wants to marry someone else and the Pope refuses. So King Henry VIII, like all good kings, starts his own church. <laughs> and in 1534, the Church of England is birthed. There's a war, there's reformation, church history is fascinating this time. There's a lot going on in the 1500s and it all revolves around this one word. In 1604, King James I, where we get our Bibles from, hello, who reads a new King James Bible? I do, you might not after today, but anyway. King James in 1604, he wants all the power, so what does he do? He goes and creates his own translation of the Bible. Are you still with me today? Yes. Are you, is this all right? Yeah. Should we go home now? No. Do we want to, good. And so what he does, check this out, he gets a whole lot of translators together, the best of the best, the elite, right? But he lays some ground rules in translation. Google this as well, fact check me, please do. And he, he lays out some ground rules, 15 specific ground rules for interpreting the, the scriptures into this translation, right? If you do Google it, Zoom in to rule number three, and this is what it says. The old ecclesiastical words to be kept. Then it says the word viz, I don't know what that means, dot. The word church not to be translated congregation. <laughs> so straight up in your history books, not some weird revelation I got from an angel, We'll save that for next week. In your history books, we read that King James I said you cannot translate this word as ecclesia or Christ congregation. You can only translate it as the word church. Why? I believe it was a satanic plan, to be perfectly honest with you. And there's been plenty of things in our church history. Church history is full of dark moments where the devil has used the church to take glory from God. Man have been used as puppets in the name of God and we've been supporting the enemy's plan. And my desire is that we as the church in this generation do not participate 
in what the enemy might want to have come to pass through the church in this generation. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. You are the called out ones. You are the ecclesia. Kyriakon doma. I know I'm semantics. We're not going to stop saying we started a church. We're not going to start saying we started an ecclesia. We're not going to start doing any of those sorts of things. I'm just trying to preach into our culture this morning. Are you with me? We're not changing words where we're like, hey, all right, yeah, I see you at Ecclesia this week. People would be like, what the heck is this person on? I'm not going to be there. Ecclesia, is that like a new gaming zone or something? I don't know. But when we understand Ecclesia over church, we start measuring our lives differently. Life takes on a whole different purpose. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. You know, reason why some of you week in, week out, you hear me preaching about purpose and destiny and the will of God, and you're like, what about me? That's because you are stuck in a Kyriakon Doma mindset. But when you get the revelation of Ecclesia, you start realising that God's purpose is not about only what happens on a Sunday. It's about who you are in your workplace. It's about who you are in your family. It's about who you are in your high school. It's about who you are in your primary school. It's about who you are on, your, on, your, on the work site. It's about who you believe you are called to be. It's about the purpose of God for this generation. And when we understand Ecclesia, we begin to see that, oh man, oh yes, Lord. We begin to see, we begin to turn tables in our thinking. Tables, tables become pulpits. Cafes become cathedrals. I'm preaching and I'm still sitting down. Schools become sanctuaries. Homes become heaven on earth. Art becomes worship. Music becomes ministry. Conversations become a platform for godly confession. Meals become communion. Problems become platforms for prayer. Trials become the theatre of thanks. Your workplace becomes a sanctuary of worship and devotion to God. This all happens when you change your mind from just being someone that goes to church and realises that you are the ecclesia. Come on, give God glory all over this place today because you have power. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You are filled with the glory of God. You stare at a computer all day, but I wanna tell you, God can get glory out of that time. God can get glory out of that time when you change your mind and become the ecclesia. Our problem is, is that when we think church over ecclesia, we shift our identity, our function and our mission. And it could be possible that we've done and we've been the church, Kiriakon Doma for so long, that we've confused our identity. We've confused our function. We've confused who we are meant to look like in the world. The reason why we are living in a time where the church is the most irrelevant church since the, its birth to our community is because we've been the church and not the ecclesia. 
When we be the church and we stop being the ecclesia, this is what happens. We cease being apostolic. Okay, write these things down really quickly. I promise you we're finishing. We stop being apostolic and we primarily be pastoral. And pastors have a great biblical role within our church community. I'm not trying to downplay pastors, but I'm trying to talk about the exclusive culture of a church environment. And pastors have a gift to make it all about the sheep. But when we are exclusively, when we go church over ecclesia, we stop being apostolic and we just start making sure all the sheep are good. I'm not talking about church leadership. I'm talking about us as the body of Christ. When we become Kyriakon Doma and we move away from being the ecclesia, we measure church ministry. We measure church ministry success largely by attendance and not by influence. Look at the New Testament church. 12 men. 11 on the day of Pentecost. Just 120 people in a room led to one of the greatest moves of God's Spirit. But I've got news for you, baby. God's about to pour out His Spirit on anyone that would call upon His name again. And I wanna prophesy to you today that there are stadiums in our city that people have thought the church could never fill again since Billy Graham. But I wanna prophesy to you today, there is a day of power coming to the church again. There is a day that is coming where church buildings are gonna be overflowing with not just the glory of God, but with people cramming, cramming, cramming to get inside. And when we become Kyriakondoma and we lean away from the ecclesia, we're trying to get as many people in the church building instead of being a, being a, a people that are focused on sending and equipping for ministry. See, church exists to be a good, godly place for church people. But ecclesia exists to take the revelation of Jesus to the very gates of Hades. <laughs> ecclesia is not religious, friend. It's governmental. Jesus could have used the word temple. Upon this rock, I will build my temple. Upon this rock, I will build my synagogue. Both religious terms, but he decides to use a governmental one. The church as the ecclesia are called to bring government. See, church brings government to church, but ecclesia brings government to a domain, a region. Christ's ecclesia. We've got to wrap this up. Woo! Praise God for His Word. Come on, praise God for His Word. Come on, I'm calling you out, Ecclesia. Praise God for the Word. Praise God for who He is. Praise God. I dare you to praise Him in a way you've never praised Him before. I dare you to shape off Kyriakondoma right now and become the Ecclesia, the called out ones, and just begin to thank Him for who He is and begin to praise Him for what He's done.
and begin to prophetically thank Him for everything that He is about to do. We give You all the glory, Lord. We give You all the praise, God. And Father, we want to shift focus right now. Come on, can You help me pray? Can You help me pray in this atmosphere? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, He is Lord. We shift right now into intercession for the body of Christ. Oh God, that You would break off the chains of religion and that You would set us free, that You would break off the chains of an identity that's tried to hold us in church and You would set us free on a path towards being the ecclesia. God, we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray right now. Lord, we're asking for You to move by Your Spirit upon every church in this city right now. Lord, the mega church and the micro church, the house church, the hub church, we're asking for Your glory to set Your people on fire. Lord, when I'm praying church, I'm not praying about the building. I'm not praying about the Sunday gathering. I'm praying that You would set homes on fire. I'm praying that You would set hearts on fire. I'm praying, Father, that You would change minds for Your glory. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, for a move of Your Spirit that causes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to rise up, Father, in this time. And Lord, help us today. Help us today. Help us today. You're exposing a religious spirit right now. Thank you for that, Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we can get saved and then we get free of demonic oppression, okay? But then what happens is we hold on to a stronghold. What's that? It's a pattern of thinking. And so you can get free from a spirit of religion, for example, but you can still hold on to the patterns of thinking. That's why you've got to renew your mind because it changes it. It changes the way you think. But I sense right now the Lord just wants to just release some people. You didn't even know you were being religious, but you've been caught in Kiriakondoma. If that's you, lift your hands right now. Just let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. Let Him convict you. He wants to just move today. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. He's a good Father. Thank you, Lord God. We praise the name of Jesus. We praise the name of the Lord, our strong tower that we can run into. We praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord God. We praise you, Lord God. Ethan, come here, bro. I want to pray for you, mate. Just close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Ethan right now. Come on, church, let's pray for Ethan. A mighty man of God in the making. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you for the destiny that you have for Ethan. Thank you, Lord God, right now that you are positioning him right now, Father. You're even putting dreams in his heart. 
You're putting dreams into his heart. Father, right now about the kingdom influence you're going to call him into. And Father, right now, the moment I just lay my hand on his shoulder, I believe for an impartation of your spirit to touch him, Father, to use him for your glory. Oh, thank you, Lord God. I cancel any assignment, Father, that's trying to stop this young man from being uh, stepping into destiny right now. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I declare, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, just your anointing, the sovereign hand of God upon you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Graylin, I just believe that the Lord just wants to highlight you this morning. Highlight you today. You're in a season where it's like dreams were cancelled, but God's bringing them to your heart today. In fact, even in the worship time, God was just opening up those dreams again. Just reminding you of those dreams because you have destiny and purpose like you maybe don't fully understand right now, but God has a significant call and a significant plan for you. And so, Father, right now, I ask, Holy Spirit, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be re released over her right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you praise, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. And Marie, I know you're a runner. Um, but I feel like the Lord's saying it's a season of rest that I'm bringing you into. It's a season where um, you've been faithful and diligent and the Lord is a rewarder. And I just feel the smile of heaven over you today, just saying, I wanna reward you. I wanna reward you. And there's three specific things that you've been praying for and the Lord wants to release those things to you right now. And so, Father, we thank You right now. We thank You for the wonderful servant, the sacrifice. We thank You, Lord, for the, the kingdom heart that Anne-Marie has. And Lord, I thank You that You are a rewarder. And Lord, I just pray in the Name of Jesus, as a priest of God, I just declare blessing over her and favour in the mighty Name of Jesus. Some people just gather around Anne-Marie and just pray. Wonderful, Lord Jesus, we give You all the glory. Be glorified, Jesus. Let no man's name, let no man's name be remembered in this place. Only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the name of the Lord Jesus. Only the name of the Lord Jesus. This is your, your church, Father, your ecclesia. We are yours. We are your servants. Only the name of Jesus. Only the Lord Jesus. Only the Lord Jesus. Only the Lord Jesus. Only the Lord Jesus, only the Lord Jesus. Father, we repent on behalf of Your church where our agenda has interpreted Scriptures, even changed words in the Bible. And we ask for Your forgiveness as the church, as Your ecclesia. We ask for You that You would forgive us. We humble ourselves before You. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek Your face, we pray that You would hear from heaven and Lord, that You would heal our land, that You would heal our land, that You would heal our land, that You would heal our land. 
And we're gonna do one more thing just for the last one minute. I want us to exercise our government authority. Our government authority as the ecclesia. I had a vision as a young person in my high school of a dome being over my school. And one day, it was early morning, I used to ask mum to drop me off there early so I could go and pray. And I'd walk around the school oval and I'd pray. And one day, the Holy Spirit opened up an open vision to me over the school. And I saw with my eyes a, a dome type of structure over the school. And a part of it opened up. And I saw what I now discern as a religious spirit, but it was like a black entity came out of that, out of that dome. And the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart and said, you've overcome a spirit of religion. Fast forward and we saw revival break out in my high school and many different things. Fast forward to a couple of years ago and the Lord brought me back into the same vision, except this time it was over our city. And I felt the Lord say, would you steward the spiritual atmosphere over this city? If you steward the spiritual atmosphere of this city, if you shepherd the people, if you cry out to me, if you take authority like you are the government of God, you are Christ's ambassadors, and you truly shift that in the realm of the Spirit, in the invisible realm, I'll do it in the natural too. And so we're gonna exercise as a church community for the first time in our church story, our governmental authority over this region. There have been many prophecies about revival happening in our state, in our country. And it's time for the Ecclesia to see that happen. Listen to me, listen to me. Revival is not good church services. Revival is the Ecclesia being filled with the power of God and taking that to the world. One minute and then we close. We have coffee. It's going to be fun. Can we go to work and pray? Come on, let's just pray just for one minute. I promise just one minute. I'm watching my clock. One minute. Father, we, we as the government of God, representing the person of the Lord Jesus Himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we declare that every principality and power is under the feet of our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank You that we rule and reign in Christ Jesus as the righteousness of God. And so we stand in the authority given to us. And Father, with that governmental authority as the ecclesia, we declare an open heaven. That's the word right now. We declare an open heaven. We declare an open heaven over this region right now. Father, start with the northern suburbs, Lord, an open heaven. An open heaven, an open heaven, an open heaven. I prophesy that there are gonna be some church gatherings in this region with over 10,000 people because of an open heaven. I prophesy that there are gonna be schools that encounter the very glory of God in this region. Why? Because of an open heaven, because of the ecclesia operating and walking in its authority. And so Father, today we give You all the praise and the glory. Help and empower us to be your church, the ecclesia, that the gates of Hades 
cannot stand against. In Jesus' name, amen. Altar's going to be open for those that want to hang around and pray and spend time with the Lord. Coffee's on. We love you so much. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you all.